Good morning. Very glad you guys are here. And uh, we're going to start uh, a series uh, today within 1 Corinthians, uh, continuation of our 1 Corinthians series on Real Talk, Conversations from Corinth. Before we do that, three things real quick. First of all, wanted to thank you on behalf of the elders and staff. Thank you for your giving in 2019. We really, really appreciate it. We uh, just missed our budget by a little bit, our operating budget, but overall, because of some good stewardship and good spending by uh, some on our staff and the finance ministry team, we want to thank you for your generosity, effective stewardship. We were able to finish the year approximately 3.3% above our budget. So that's pretty cool. And yeah, we thank God for that. Uh, at our congregational meeting on February the 9th, we'll drill down on that and explain how all that works, but uh, we really appreciate you doing that. Also, Celebration Weekend, February, February 1 and 2 is Celebration Weekend. Here's how that works. On February 1, all, the, all our campuses come together here in the South Hills, and we got some cool stuff for the kids and some food and just the time to, to have fun and fellowship together. And then we come in here for a night of worship. If you were here the last time, it's a great time. Be sure to come and invite uh, others to come as well. So that's February 1. Then February 2, we go back to the campuses, and uh, we have baptisms. We have baby dedications. We have new member rec. Uh, recognitions, we have uh, uh, um, missions, commissioning, a bunch of different things. I think right now we have about 15 or 16 baptisms here in the South Hills. So if you want to be baptized as a believer, then you can let us know. You can go on the website. There's a whole process for that and make, you, make sure you understand what it is. You don't have to be videoed to be baptized. Everybody hear that? We looked in the scripture and they didn't have videos then. <laughs> And so you can, be ba you can be baptized without being videoed. If you do get videoed, it's a cool thing to share. But again, if you don't want to do that, if that's keeping you from being baptized, please don't let that. But uh, just follow the Lord uh, in baptism. The last thing, uh, real quick, uh, I don't mention this often, but we take an Israel trip every other year. And the first year we went, I thought, man, this is so cool. I'd love for people to go over and just see uh, Israel. And so we've taken uh, trips back. We keep it fairly, last time it was a little larger with two buses. We try to keep it to, uh, to one bus so we can get to know each other and, and hang out a little bit. Uh, but we have about 10 spots left if you're interested. And you can go on the website and see all the dates. This year, in addition to the main tour uh, trip, we're also going to do a three-day hike uh, from Nazareth to Capernaum. Uh, it's really cool. It's about 12 to 14 miles a day. And uh, uh, it's, it's added, it's, it's before we do the trip. So you, you could do the hike and not the trip. You could do both. You could do not the hike and the trip. You can go on the website and, and figure all that out. All right, let's pray and then ask God for his help as we uh, look in his word. Father, thank you for, um, for reminding us today in, in our singing that um, the battle is yours. Man, sometimes we, we want to take the battle on ourselves and it's, uh, it's overwhelming and sometimes paralyzing. And we're, we're going to see today, Lord, that, um, that, that we're in the midst of it and, 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 uh, and we have responsibility to, to do the things you're calling us to do. And so I pray, that, I pray Lord, that you teach us today from your word. Do, uh, do what only you can do. Uh, only, you can, only you can grab our attention. Only you can soften our heart. Only, only you can speak... Uh, through your spirit, Lord, uh, in a way that is, uh, is meaningful. So we're totally dependent on you here today. 
We thank you, Lord, for being able to come together, to sing, to interact. And before we look at your word, uh, we want to we pray together as Jesus, our Savior, taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. Okay, so today we're going to start this section in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 through 7. And we want to look at two topics uh, during this uh, part of uh, the book. Beginning in January the 25th, so in two weeks, we're going to start looking at something Paul addresses very clearly, uh, doesn't bat an eye in doing it, because it's so important for us to know in our culture and in, in Paul's uh, culture, in the culture he's writing, uh, we're going to look at what we're calling real sex. Uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 5, how it can be distorted, in uh, Second Corinthians, or First Corinthians six, how it can be honored, and First Corinthians seven, how it can be guarded. So, January twenty-five, real sex. Then celebration weekend. Then February eight, nine, real sex. February fifteen, sixteen, real sex. Now I say that because, as we look at this, uh, we will be saying nothing crass or inappropriate. Uh, but Paul hits this pretty hard, and uh, we, we're going to be true to God's word and not back down on some things we need to address uh, in a very honest and open and vulnerable way. And so uh, if you don't want your kids in here during that time, then I want you to know that. If they're seventh grade up, and no problem uh, with that, high school for sure, but uh, it's up to you regarding whether you want them in during the other time, all right? Got that? So you're warned uh, on that. Today we want to, uh, we want to look at uh, real leadership. We want to talk about leadership. And before we do that, I'm going to ask some questions. I don't want you to raise your hand on these questions, but just think about this. How many of you are going through, how many of you are really going through some hard relationship issues in your life? Don't raise your hand, but maybe some stuff with friends at school. Uh, A lot of parents today are talking about, man, the, the, the social media platform just exacerbates all the conflicts that are normally there. So maybe some stuff at school. Maybe uh, you're headed back to college and there are some issues that you're going to have to deal with with some friends, some changes maybe you've decided to make over the Christmas holidays, Uh, some roommate issues. Man, I don't know if there's any better place to learn about real life than having to deal with a roommate, right? Maybe there's some stuff going on at work uh, with your coworkers. Maybe your boss uh, is a jerk. Um, that's why I didn't want people to raise their hands so that those working, <laughs> particularly those working for the Bible chapel, I didn't want their hands shooting up. <laughs> Maybe some things with your um, boyfriend or girlfriend. Maybe some things have gone a little too far. And one of you needs to, needs to address that. You, you, you know you're in some dangerous uh, territory. Maybe for you, some things with the spouse, some real tensions, some real challenges. Some of you, some things with your kids. 
you have to address some things. You have to deal with some issues. There's a little tension at home. Maybe, for some of you a little older, it's things with your, with your parents or extended family. Man, I don't know of many families that don't have something going on in their extended family. Maybe for you, it's a, min- it's a small group. We've got some conflicts in a small group. Maybe it's a ministry team. Or, or, or maybe for you, it's an illness that you're battling through, that you're struggling with. How are you going to deal with that? How are you going to lead through that? How are you going to lead through the issues in your life? We uh, sang the song, The Battle is the Lord's. The battle belongs to the Lord. Uh, there's a guy named here years, uh, here years ago named Jack Nelson. First funeral I ever did at the Bible Chapel. And uh, he had on his license plate, T-B-I-T-L. The battle is the Lord's. He had that for years, and then he had a brain tumor, and it was tough. But I watched him, through that illness, lead his family through it. So the question that I want us to look at today is, how are you going to lead through the issues that are going on in your life? Take your Bibles and turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. We're going to spend a couple weeks in this chapter. Uh, I want to give you about four principles of leadership today. These are from God's Word. These are biblical principles. They apply in every area of life, whether business or church or family uh, or, uh, or, or those uh, you work with in the recreational leagues, whatever you're doing uh, in your life. And the first thing I want us to see as we look at leadership is this. There are two parts of leadership in Scripture. First of all, there's the gift of leadership. Then there's the role or responsibility of leadership. Some people have the gift of leadership. Everyone has the role or responsibility of leadership. Romans chapter 12, verse 8 says, Those who lead, the gift of leadership, the spiritual gift of leadership, lead with diligence or lead with zeal, lead with attentiveness, lead with uh, carefulness. Lead well. So there are some people God has given the spiritual gift of leadership. If you have the spiritual gift of leadership, you can't help but lead. You're going to be an entrepreneur in your business, or you're going to be working your way up into the company. You don't have to lead the whole enchilada. You just have to lead a part of it. You have to be a part of a leadership. You're here at the church. You're involved in some type of leadership. You want to be in charge, not a control freak thing. You just have this gift of leadership. You can't not lead. If you have the gift of leadership, you've already seen 10 things we've done wrong this morning that you would do differently if you were in charge. So everyone, not everyone has the gift of leadership, but there's another part of it. Everyone has the responsibility of leadership. Just like not everyone has a gift of hospitality or mercy or whatever, everyone has a responsibility. Gift of leadership, responsibility of leadership. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20, we saw this verse last time, says, you are, if you're a believer, you are an ambassador of Christ. Not, I want to be an ambassador. I'm going to sign up when I get around to it. You are an ambassador. You are representing Christ. And as a representative for Christ, there are, there's a leadership responsibility that goes with that. It's not about personality. It's not about I'm shy. It's not about I'm reserved. You are a leader. You have a leadership 
role that has to be carried out. Let me try to explain it like this. If you haven't looked at your spiritual gifts, be sure to do that. You need to know what your spiritual gifts are. We'll help you do that. So my two top spiritual gifts are teaching and leadership. Lori's, my wife, hers are administration and mercy, and she has discernment as well. So if I have a question, I, a lot of times we'll go to her and we'll talk things through and she's very helpful there. But her gift of mercy is very, very high. So when the church was smaller and uh, our kids were little, I would say, hey, Lori, I'm going to go to a leadership conference. And she would say, but why? Why do you need to go? The kids are small. You got to be here. I need your help. I don't need you gone. Read a book. Just don't go to a conference. You're supposed to have the gift. Just figure it out. But she had a high gift of mercy. So when the chapel was small and we didn't have a lot of teams to do caregiving, I'd get a call in the middle of the night and someone would be in the hospital. And she would say, who is that? So-and-so, they're in the hospital. You need to go. I said, I know, I'm going in the morning. No, you need to go right now. And I say, Lori, it's like, it's like 14 degrees below zero outside. It's icy. It's snowy. I probably won't make it back alive. <laughs> she said, I don't care. You need to go. Gift of mercy, and I got other gifts. But just because Lori doesn't have the gift of mercy doesn't mean she doesn't have the role or responsibility of leadership in our family. She does. And she's taking that on as a mom. If you're a mom, you are a leader. You have a role and responsibility. There are things you have to do. It doesn't matter if you don't have the leadership gift, you have the responsibility. Does that make sense? I want to emphasize that because when we talk about leadership, a lot of people click out and say, I don't have the gift, so I'm not going to worry about it. No, you are an ambassador for Christ. You have, if you don't have the gift, that's fine, but you have the role, the responsibility of leadership. All right, so four principles today. I'll give you some more principles next time. The first one is this. Leadership is a God-given responsibility with God-sized challenges. A God-given responsibility. God placed you in a position that you're going to lead someone, that you're going to be an example to someone, that you're going to influence someone. God placed you there. He sovereignly put you there. When we read 1 Corinthians, we see over and over again, Paul saying, man, I shouldn't even be an apostle. I'm the least of the apostles. I persecuted the church. It's only by God's grace I am who I am. Only by his grace. So if you're in a leadership position, and you are if you're a believer, God has placed you in a friend group, in a workplace environment, in a family, in an extended family. And you need to lead because you are his ambassador, a God-given responsibility, and it also comes with what? God-given challenges. If you're a believer and God has called you to be an ambassador, has appointed you as an ambassador, as a leader, you're going to have some challenges. You're going to have some issues going on. You're going to have some things that you need to deal with, and you can't just sit there. You can't be, there is no such thing as a passive leader. You have to be one who says, God, this may even be above my, this is over my head, but I'm depending on you to give me everything I need to do what I need to do in this situation. 
Man, we see that throughout 1 Corinthians. If you study the book, as we're studying the book of 1 Corinthians, we see this. Paul said in chapter 4, verse 15, he said, For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers, for I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Paul's saying, man, I, I came to Corinth. I, I, I was there. I shared uh, Christ. Many of you trusted in Christ. Paul stayed in Corinth for 18 months. He founded the church there. And you know, of all the churches he founded, you know who was the most critical of Paul? The Corinthians. They didn't give the guy a break. They criticized his teaching. They criticized his leadership. They said, Paul, who are you? You're not even one of the 12 apostles. You don't even have the authority of an apostle. They questioned him over and over and over again. Here's what they said about him in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 10. They said, his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech is of no account. Now, how would you like that said about you? His letters, they make some sense, and he can put it in a letter, man. He, he has no problem writing these strong things in a letter, but when he shows up, he's this little guy, and he can't talk very well. You ever hear people saying, you know, I, I, I love people saying, you know, this guy's such a leader. When he walks into the room, he just fills up the room. Wasn't Paul one of the most dynamic leaders in the New Testament? You wouldn't have been impressed by his presence. The Corinthians weren't. You wouldn't have been impressed by his speaking. The Corinthians weren't. But what a dynamic leader. Paul was, Paul was criticized over and over, and he continually had to defend himself. But you know what he did? He continually defended himself. He continually defended himself, not so that they would think more of him, but so that he would have the opportunity to share Christ in an effective way. God has given you a responsibility to lead. Tag, you're it. And a lot of times it comes with challenges, and you cannot back down from the challenges. Some of you know of situations in your life right now, and you have let them go for too long. Maybe it's with the spouse. Maybe it's with your kids. Maybe it's at work. But God has placed you in that position, sovereignly in that position, to do the work he's called you to do, to demonstrate what it looks like, to step in and lead in a godly way. Here's the second principle. Leadership is based in the bold confidence we have in Jesus. So if you're sitting there and saying, it's just not me to be, to speak out. It's just not me to deal with this situation in my family. It's just not, I'm just shy, I'm reserved. It's just not me. That excuse doesn't work. Because the confidence we have is not in and of ourselves, the confidence we have is in Jesus. Look at chapter 4, verse 16. Paul says this. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That's a pretty bold statement, isn't it? Can you say that? Can you say that to people who work? Family? Extended family? Friends? I urge you, be imitators of me. Now, Paul wasn't saying that because of who he was. He was saying that because of who he was in Christ. 
And he says it over and over in his letters. Philippians chapter 3, verse 17, brothers, join in imitating, brothers is generic, brothers, sisters, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Join in imitating me and watch others who are following Christ. See how they act. Philippians chapter 4, 9, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. Man, dads, can you say that to your sons and daughters? That's a tough one, isn't it? That doesn't mean perfection. That sometimes means see how I ask forgiveness when I completely dropped the ball and failed and sinned. 1 Corinthians 11, 1, Paul puts all this into perspective when he says, be imitators of me, what? As I am of Christ. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. As I'm following hard after Christ. That is the, that is the purpose of my life. That's what I'm doing. Then you can imitate me as I follow Jesus. Man, that should be the mantra for every parent, right? Should be the mantra for every leader. Follow me as I follow Jesus. Now again, Paul couldn't, didn't say that because of who he was. He's going to tell us throughout 1 Corinthians, he's nothing. He didn't deserve to be, uh, any, uh, have any aspect of leadership. Least of the apostles persecuted the church. But he says, I am who I am by the grace of God. As we've been singing this morning, we have a standing in Jesus Everything we have is because of who Jesus is. And we have what we call here at the Bible Chapel our spiritual identity. And we have the spiritual identity we use here at the Bible Chapel, this word safe with two S's, to remind us who we are in Jesus. If you're a believer, here's who you are. This is not some mantra that you put up on your mirror, some positive thinking that you put on your mirror and, and say every morning before you go to work. This is who you are. First of all, you are significant. You're not significant. We are not significant in and of ourselves. We are like the Apostle Paul. Every, every seed of every sin is planted in our heart, as the old theologian said. We know what we would do without the grace of God. But we are significant because Jesus is significant. Our significance is found in him. The second S is we are secure. Think about that. Nothing, if you're a believer, absolutely nothing can separate you from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, Romans chapter 8. Nothing. You are secure forever. The A is accepted. You are a child of God and will forever be. I talk, uh, I talk to people in their 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s, and they still have trouble in life because they, they weren't accepted by their dad. That bothers them. One writer calls it the father wound. And, and, and I know, that's for every father. We've we got to make sure we don't wound our kids, right? But if you have that wound today, I want to tell you about a father who loves you unconditionally, who accepts you unconditionally, who will never disappoint you. You are accepted into his family. You are a child of God, and he loves you as son and daughter. Significant, secure, accepted, forgiven. Aren't you glad you're forgiven? Don't you want to tell your kids about that? God says that he takes our sin 
and he chooses the omniscient God who knows everything there is to know about everything there is to know, takes our sin and hides it behind his back, separates it as far as the east is from the west. He remembers our sin no more. We have trouble forgetting our own sin, right? So here's the deal with that. You can't say, well, you know what? Yeah, I get it. I'm an ambassador, but man, I got so much baggage in my life. I got so many things in my past. You know, I, I, I just don't feel like I just don't feel like I have the platform. I don't feel like I have the standing to, to actually lead other people. That's baloney. That's not biblical. Jesus took care of that for you. He forgave you. Your past is gone. And now you have the opportunity to tell people, here's this gracious God I serve. Here's a God who can forgive you. And then the E is empower. We are empowered. We have the spirit living within us. God will never put you in a position that he will not empower you for. I don't know about you, but that's pretty good news, isn't it? Sometimes I feel like I am over my head and stuff. But here's what I know. God, if you put me here, you're going to give me everything I need to do what you've called me to do. See, Paul knew that his leadership had this bold confidence because of who Jesus was, not because of who he was. And so God has put you in, a, in, in this God-given responsibility with some great challenges. And you may be thinking of some of those challenges. And you may be thinking, how am I going to do this? I don't have it within me to, to, to address this situation. Yeah, you do. Because of Jesus and the confidence you have in him. Third um, principle. Leadership, we see, chapter four, is servant leadership. Biblical leadership is servant leadership. Chapter four, uh, verse one. This is how one should regard us as what? Oh, it's not up there, is it? As servants of the Lord. That's how we should be regarded, as servants of the Lord, servant leadership. Sounds kind of counterintuitive, doesn't it? Servant leadership. There are two uh, disciples uh, came to Jesus, James and John, and uh, they said, Jesus, uh, when you come into your kingdom, we want to sit on, on either side of you. We want, we want this uh, uh, position of power on either side of you. And Jesus said, you really don't know what you're asking. And when the other disciples heard that, they were angry. And so Jesus used it as a teaching moment. Here's what he said in chapter 10, verses 42 through 45. Jesus called them to him and he said, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great one exercise authority over them. That's what we think of leadership, right? Power, you, you, you exercise authority over other people. You're in charge, you're significant, you're the one. But here's what Jesus said, it shall not be so among you. Jesus says, that we, we don't do it that way here. Instead, whoever will be great among you must be your what? Servant. Whoever would be first among you must be slave of all. And Jesus said, let me show you how to do that. For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to what? to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Two things in servant leadership. We'll talk about this more. Two things in servant leadership. One, you have to surrender your life to Jesus. Have you done that? Yeah, you're a believer, I get it. But have you really surrendered everything to the Lord? Your time, your energy, 
your possessions, all the stuff in your life, have you really surrendered to the Lord? Now, that's an ongoing thing that we're going to be doing. We surrender today, and we're going to be surrendering tomorrow, but it's an attitude of surrendering. It's not like a one-time, you know, one, one and done. But do you, have, do you have the attitude, do you have the heart of saying, God, this is all yours. I want to do today what you want me to do. I want to use my stuff the way you want me to use my stuff. I want to use my money the way you want me to use my money. I am surrendering to you. Servant leadership begins with a surrendered life to Christ. Secondly, it involves a committed life to others. I'm committed to others. It's bigger. This life is bigger than me. It's not just about me. It's about how I can serve others, how I can minister to others, how I can lead others. You go through Scripture, you're going to find well over 30 times one another passages. Build one another up, love one another, forgive one another, show hospitality to one another, on and on and on. You see, the, the Christian life cannot be applied unless it's applied in community. You cannot apply the Christian life unless you apply it in community. And that's counterintuitive to us because, as we said last time, this, this, this big sin in our life is after the fall. Remember last time we looked at creation and the fall and redemption? This big thing we got going in our life, I, I got it going anyway. If I can write it. Pro ah! I'm demonstrating it right now. Pride. Shouldn't, that should work. That eye is right in the middle. Pride is about me. Pride is, says, I want independence from God. I'll, I'll be my own God. I'll do my own thing. I want independence from God's instructions. I'm not, don't, I don't want him to tell me what to do. And then I want independence from responsibility for God's people. Independence from God, his instruction, and God's people. But the Christian life just doesn't work like that, does it? Servant leadership says, I'm in it for others. I'm going to surrender my life to Christ. That's why I've got to be in his word every day. I've got to know what he says. I've got to know what this surrendered life looks like. And I'm going to commit my life to serving others. Real leadership Servant leadership. We'll talk more about that. Here's at number four. Servant leaders are stewards of the gospel. Servant leaders are stewards of the gospel. Look at chapter four, verses one and two. This is how you should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found what? Faithful required of stewards, that they be found faithful. Two things here. First of all, uh, the Greek word for stewards is a compound word. How, house and law. House and law. So a steward was someone who uh, managed or led the laws of the house or the operations of the house or the rules of the house. So a person had an estate or a large home in that day, they would hire a steward, and the steward was responsible for the money, for the food, for the upkeep of the house. They managed the whole house, and they were responsible to the owner, right? So in Scripture, 
Jesus uses that same phrase, Paul takes that same phrase and says, we are stewards. We don't own any of this stuff. It's not ours, but we manage it. We use it. We're responsible for it. It all belongs to God and we're accountable to him. And we are stewards and we need to be faithful. And then Paul says, we are stewards of the mysteries of God. That's just another way that Paul says the gospel. We are stewards of the good news of Jesus Christ. We are stewards of the gospel. Real quick here, a lot of times when we say, you hear people say, I share the gospel, right? I shared the gospel with someone. And what they mean is they were able to speak with someone, and it's a great thing, and they were able to explain kind of the four tenets of the gospel. You're a sinner. The wages of sin is death. Jesus died for you, and you can be saved through faith, right? And we say, we shared the gospel. Well, we did share the gospel, but that's, that's, a, that's a very small mindset of what the gospel is. The gospel is this whole life that we live in Christ. It's our being saved. It's our being set, set apart, made holy, the theological word sanctified. It's our being justified, made right with God. And it's our living out this life. So when Paul says, you are stewards of the mysteries of God, he's saying, you are stewards of the good news of Jesus. You are stewards of this life that he's given you. You are stewards of your marriage. You're stewards of your parenting. You're stewards of the relationships you have. You're stewards of your money. You're stewards of God's grace, your gifts, everything God's given you. You now have to manage it. And you need to manage it well, we'll talk more next time about um, some principles of leadership. So come back and check those out. Let me end with a, with a story. What if, what if you don't feel like leading? Don't raise your hand. Anyone feel like that? I don't feel like leading. I, I don't have energy. I know I got some issues that I need to deal with. I get it. But I don't have the energy. I'm going through a tar hard time physically. And I, I don't know how I'm going to lead to an illness. Well, what would that look like? So Sarah and her twin sister, Lindsay, were known infamously as the Turner twins in their little town in Maine on the courts and on the fields and in the classroom. Sarah met uh, Ben Robinson in high school. They had a date. That date turned into a relationship. That relationship turned into a marriage. And then they had a little girl named Morgan. And then life took this unexpected twist. When Sarah was uh, 24 years old, she learned she had a brain tumor. After surgery and then a year and a half of chemotherapy, Sarah said this, it was my battle with cancer that I found my purpose for living. During her treatment, uh, she would meet a lot of other patients, and she learned that a lot of others going through chemotherapy lived in rural Maine, and they would drive five hours round trip every day for five days just to come to chemotherapy. Some of them, because they couldn't afford a place to stay, would stay all night in their car at the Walmart parking lot. And Sarah knew that uh, 
driving five hours every day for five days a week or sleeping in your car at the Walmart parking lot was not, was not what people needed to be doing when they were battling for their life. So Sarah had an idea, and she worked tirelessly to bring about this idea. She had an idea to, to start a hospitality house where people who were taking treatments could come and stay. She shared her idea with different people in town. She worked tirelessly sometimes, even while she was taking chemotherapy. She would stay up all night working on the project. Through her ordeal, she kept her faith in Christ. In fact, she told her family, I, I, she said this, I'm not leaving the party early. I'm just getting there first. Here's what she wrote. Life is fragile. One day you're a beautiful, quirky, fun-loving, percussionist, mother, wife, daughter, friend, sister, twin, realtor, landlord, Rotarian, athlete, intelligent Christian with capacity for greatness. The next day you have the Lord and nothing else matters. Thank you, God. When she could no longer put her pajamas on at night and her husband had to help her get dressed, she wrote in her journal, I am the luckiest woman alive. Sarah passed away at the age of 26, two years of battling cancer. But her, steward, her, her, her stewarding of her life and her servant leadership continues. Today, Sarah's house is in Maine. We have a picture of it. And Sarah's house is a place where those who are taking chemo in that area can come spend the night for several days. $15 a night donation, or if you don't have the money, they take care of it. They do that without a single employee. Volunteers work tirelessly, many in her family, to show the kindness and hospitality to the patients and their families. And Sarah's house has this commitment, we will never turn anyone away. So some have the gift of leadership, right? You know who you are. Everyone in this room, if you're a believer, has the role of leadership. And the world's watching. They want to know how we lead. They want to know how a Christian does marriage. Because they can blow up marriages on their own. They want to know how a Christian does parenting. Because they got all the challenges we do as well. They want to know how a Christian goes through an illness to watch that person stand firm in the battle. How, how we live today will be what we leave tomorrow, right? How we lead today will be what we leave tomorrow. Sarah wrote in her journal on um, her last days, she said, I have a firm foundation, a fir I'm sorry, I have a firm of affirmation that I have left it all on the field, the field of life that is. I have not held back. I do not regret. The people in my life know what they mean to me. So my question is this. Are you leaving it all on the field? Are you making certain that every moment counts? This one and only, we get this one and only life. 
are you making sure that you're leaving it all on the field? That you're living all out for Christ. It's not about you, your wants, your stuff. You're leaving it on the field. No regrets. And the people in your life know what they mean to you. So let me leave with this question. What's going to be your Sarah's house? This life's short. goes pretty quick, doesn't it? You're going to be gone. What are you going to leave? How you lead today will be what you leave tomorrow. How you lead today will be your Sarah's house for tomorrow. What's it going to be? Now, I get it. We feel over our head, don't we? I sure do. But we have one, as a believer, we don't fight this battle on our own. We have one who is fighting for us. We have one who is giving us everything we need. So Susie's going to come and just sing a song over us. And I just want you to be reminded as, you sing, as she sings this song, you're not on your own. God is fighting for you. And any assignment he's given you, he'll give you everything to complete it really, really well. Listen to this song.
Let's stand together. There'll be those who would love the opportunity to pray with you before you go, whatever you got going on in your life, to pray for you and to pray with you. Father, we thank you for that promise we've just heard that you will never stop fighting for us. We acknowledge, Lord, that uh, we're in a battle and some things in our life are, are tough and, and you've placed us here to lead the responsibility to be an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And Lord, we want to do that well and we can't on our own strength and in our own strength. And so, Father, allow us to surrender ourselves to you and be empowered to do everything you're calling us to do. That's our, that's our prayer as we leave, Lord. This week, empower us. Empower us to do everything you're calling us to do. Be with us as we go. In Jesus' name, everyone said together, amen.